And I'll turn our attention to the Word of God. We will begin, first of all, by reading God's Word from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians chapter 4. We'll read together the first 13 verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And then we turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We'll begin reading God's Word at verse 1. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I know of nothing against myself. Yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring into light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then teach one another, and then teach each one's praise, and then each one's praise will come from God. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. For who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? You are already full. You are already rich. You have reigned as kings without us. And indeed, I could wish you did reign, that we also might reign with you. For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last, as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake. But you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. To the present hour we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. Being reviled, we, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the offscouring of all things until now. And then we'll turn to Paul's second letter, chapter 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the first 10 verses. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 12, beginning verse 1. It is doubtless not profitable for me to, to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows. And such a one was caught up into the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows, how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one I will, I will boast. Yet of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities. 
For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. But I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my affirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And then we'll turn to our text for this morning, which is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 18. 4, verse 7 through 18, and we'll continue on from where I was a couple weeks ago when I preached on the first part of this chapter. So 2 Corinthians 4, beginning at verse 7 through to the end of verse 18. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel... Sorry, I'm chapter 3. Should be in for chapter 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So far, reading from God's holy word. Brothers, sisters of our Lord in Jesus Christ, as we saw last time at the, very, at the beginning of this chapter, Paul says, we do not lose heart. And he repeats those words again in verse 16 of our text this morning. 
The implication is that as Paul does not lose heart in his ministry, therefore he says we are not to lose heart either for the sake of our Lord. Remember that the Apostle Paul was not boasting about how strong he is. Neither does he say to the believers in Corinth, you have to be superheroes, you have to be super Christians. In order that you might be saved, in order that you, your life might be pleasing to God. I think there's a temptation also for us, even today as Christians, that we want everybody to think how strong we are. We want everybody to believe that we have everything together in our life and we will cover up any, any blemishes that, might be, that other people might see. We don't want them to see it and so we kind of hide those things in our lives. I think we've often also experienced how difficult it can be to speak to fellow brothers and sisters about maybe some of the struggles that we have in our lives, admitting that we have some weaknesses. Why? Why? Because we feel some shame because of those weaknesses. And we think to ourselves, if I'm a Christian, then shouldn't I be strong? We want to be able to pass on a message to others that... I'm, I'm good. I'm able to, to, to do what I should do. I want to be able to tell people how faithful I am always. I want to be able to tell people how easy it is for me to face the difficult challenges in my life. I want to be able to tell people that, no, I'm never anxious. I never worry. Amen. The Lord gives me the power, the strength to make all the right decisions all the time. Right? If I am a Christian, shouldn't that mean that my life is better than that of other people around me? As a child of Christ and a child of God, shouldn't that mean that I now am to have the strength to face and to deal with the struggles of life so that they all go away? When Paul says, I do not lose heart, he does not say that I do not lose heart because I'm so good, because I'm so strong, because I don't have any struggles in my life. But what he says, beloved, is I do not lose heart when I must deal with my own weaknesses and with the frailties in my very own life. For he goes on and he explains to us that in Christ, he says, I and so we, we have a glorious treasure. But he says this is a treasure that we have in jars of clay, in earthen vessels, you see, beloved, the treasure is not that God makes us superheroes. The treasure is not that God makes me strong in this life so that I'm better than other people. It's not that God now makes me such a good person that I, I never fail because I don't have any weaknesses. But, beloved, our great joy is that God puts this treasure of the gospel in me, I who am a frail jar of clay. You see, our glory is not in how good we are, not how strong we are. But we find our glory in the great treasure that Christ has entrusted to us. God comes to me and He gives this treasure to me. I, who am a, a weak man, I who may be a weak woman, 
somebody who continues to struggle with sins and continues to struggle with troubles in daily life. That's the reason that Paul says we do not lose heart, even when we're faced with those weaknesses in our own lives. And so this morning I proclaim to you God's word under this theme. We have the treasure of the gospel in jars of, of clay. Under that theme, we look at three things. First of all, we look at the power of God revealed in us, we who are jars of clay. Second, we look at the benefit, uh, is the, the, benefit, the benefit of that is the greater glory of God. And the third place, and therefore we do not lose heart. So Paul begins the words of our text saying, we have this treasure in jars of clay. First of all, I need to ask, so, so what is the treasure that he is uh, talking about? In, in the previous uh, verse, Paul wrote uh, that God let the knowledge of his glory, the glory that displayed in, in, in the face and the life of the Lord Jesus, shine into our hearts. And so we could conclude uh, that Paul means that the treasure is the glory of Christ that now shines in our hearts and our lives. Well, that may be part of it, but that's not really the full extent of what Paul is talking about here. Remember that, that Paul is addressing a much broader issue. And the issue that he's addressing in these letters, in this letter, is the way that the believers in Corinth is comparing him to the false teachers and the false preachers in the congregation who are not proclaiming the truth. They point, these, these false teachers, they, they point to what seems to many of Paul's weaknesses. And pointing to Paul's weaknesses, what they, they want to do, they want to discredit the gospel message that he is proclaiming to them. And so these false teachers, they are saying to the believers, how foolish it is to listen to the apostle Paul. Look at his life. It's not a very exemplary life. Look at all the troubles that he's facing everywhere he goes. If Paul is facing all those troubles, how can his message be true and real? Paul wrote about that already earlier in, the first, in his first letter to Corinth, chapter 4, verse 9 and following. There in the eyes of the congregation, Paul says that it seems uh, as if we apostles, uh, we uh, ministers of the gospel, we're like people who come at the end of a procession, of a Roman procession into a stadium. You know, those who come at the end of that procession into the stadium uh, for this great big spectacle they are the people who are condemned to die in the arena. They are going to be the spectacle that people watch being put to death at the hands of the gladiators or at the mouths of wild animals, the lions. Ironically, he says there in chapter 4, verse letter, in this first letter, he says, we are weak, but you are strong. In other words, what he's saying is, well, you think about us as apostles, that we're weak, but you think you're, you, that you're strong. In other words, these believers, they're boasting how they are better and stronger than Paul. For Paul says there in verse 11, he says, To this very hour, look at my lives. You, you say to us, we go hungry, we go thirsty. Right? You look at us and you say, we are in rags. You, you see that we're being treated brutally. You see that we're homeless. You see that we're being persecuted. You see that we're being slandered. We're being treated like the scum of the earth. So what's happening, the believers in Corinth, they question the very gospel that Paul is preaching. Because what do they see? They see that Paul comes to them in weakness. And Paul's point is that we have this treasure. That is the treasure of the gospel. 
That is the message of life and salvation, Jesus Christ. We have that treasure in jars of clay. It is that treasure of the gospel that Paul says, I come and that I proclaim to you, and that God uses to, to cause his glory, the glory that is displayed in the face and the life of the Lord Jesus Christ to shine now there in your hearts. So, beloved, the treasure that Paul has and that he's speaking about is the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. But Paul says, but I myself, I'm like a jar of clay. There is no beauty in a jar of clay. It's just useful in a very practical way. It is prone to to chip. It's prone, prone to break the moment it falls on the ground. Paul says, I myself, I'm not such a magnificent man that people look up to me and admire me because of my power and because of my strength. Later on in the second letter in chapter 12, Paul writes also about the thorn there in his flesh, in his body. What that thorn is, is is a mystery. But what is clear is that it was hindering Paul from doing all the things that he wanted to be able to do. Paul says, I prayed, I prayed three times that God might remove it. So that I might be more effective in my ministry. So that wherever I go, people might not question my gospel message because of the weakness that I carry in my body. Yet Paul says, but this is what the Lord God said to me. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. You see, beloved, what you need to understand here is this, is that God's power does not drive out weakness. God's power only becomes more visible in and through our weakness. So here's a lesson. A lesson that we need to learn. And that is that the power of Christ does not drive out the weakness in our lives. When Christ shines His glory into our hearts, it doesn't mean that suddenly we become super people It doesn't mean that suddenly we all have our lives together. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden we can now boast about how good we are and how good and how great we have become. Now, what does the glory of Christ do? The glory of Christ only highlights our weaknesses, and it is a constant reminder that our hope rests not in us, but it rests in Christ Jesus. For that reason, Paul says, we do not lose hope. Our hope in the future does not rest in how strong that I am today, but it rests in the power, it rests in the glory of my Savior, Jesus Christ. That's why Paul then also writes in verse 7, he says, this shows that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. You see, Paul, Paul has suffered so much in his ministry. And yet his suffering, Paul says, never, never destroyed me. And Paul can say that not because Paul himself was saying how strong he was. But Paul says that only attests that my life rests always secure in the hands of my God and of my Savior. And so rather than mocking the Apostle Paul because of his weaknesses, because of the suffering they see in his life, No, the believers in Corinth, they should see in that instead the power, and they should see in Paul the glory of God at work in his life. And therefore he writes in verse 8, 
We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Right throughout his ministry, Paul was opposed on all sides, both by the Jews and by the Gentiles. Yes, even opposed by his own brothers and sisters in many of the churches that he himself had planted. There are times, Paul says, when I was perplexed, meaning there were times when I was at wit's end. There were times when I was terribly discouraged. Beloved, that's the reality in the life of the Apostle Paul. It's a reality in the life of every minister of the gospel. It's a reality in the life of every elder, deacon in the church. It's a reality of every believer in the congregation. Beloved, there are times that we feel pressed in by the troubles of this life. And we feel pressed in because of the troubles that we endure for the sake of our faith in Christ. A minister may wonder, why should I continue on in this calling? It's too much for me. I can't handle it anymore. Or an elder may say, why would I continue on doing this? I, I have better things to do than to be involved in the troubles that I'm facing often here in the church. Or as a believer, we may wonder, why should I continue when I feel discouraged because of the things that are happening in my life? It doesn't, my faith doesn't seem to make things better in my life. Notice what Paul says happened to him. Paul says that he was not crushed. Paul says that he did not despair. How do you explain that in the face of his troubles? Well, Paul says that is only because of the power of God that was in work, that was at work in me, that fragile jar of clay. In verse 9, he says, I was persecuted, but not abandoned. I was struck down, but I was not destroyed. You know, there's so many examples that we have from the life of the Apostle Paul, also in the other letters and in, in the book of Acts. Well, often when he didn't go to a new place, that he ended up being thrown into prison because he was bringing the gospel. Remember, he was, being, he was stoned outside the city at one time, and he was left for dead, but the Lord caused him to rise up out of that pile of stones. The only credible reason why Paul is still proclaiming the gospel, the only reason that he's still standing, that he's still preaching, he says, is because of the great treasure that the Lord God has given to me in Christ Jesus. Beloved, the only reason that we can be assured that we will continue to stand day by day in our faith is because of the treasure the Lord God has given to you in Christ Jesus. When Paul thinks about the afflictions he, is, he has endured, he describes it this way in verse 10. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. We look at verse 11. Verse 11, he says much the same. He says, for we who are, who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that my life may also, so that his life, so that a Christ life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So you notice, basically, Paul says there are two things that are happening in our life as Christians. On the one, in the one sense, on the one hand, you can say that we are constantly dying, dying to this life. And on the other hand, we are constantly being made alive through Christ. So there is the dying of our earthly life, and there is the coming to life of our, of our spiritual life. 
And so we see the power of God today when the Lord God is already bringing to life that which is dying in the life of His people. Beloved, when you come to faith, then you do not immediately overcome the troubles and the weaknesses in your life. Now what Paul says, Paul says we are constantly being given over to death for Jesus' sake when we face the opposition for our faith. And the opposition that we face because of our faith may not be as severe as perhaps what Paul often endured when he was going from place to place and being persecuted. But beloved, there are believers in different parts of the world today who are being persecuted, who are constantly being afflicted for their faith. And the day will come, beloved, when we may face the same as we also see in our culture today, the opposition becomes greater and greater against God's people. And so you can say that in this life, it is like we're carrying around in our body the death of the Lord Jesus. But the afflictions, the opposition, the persecutions, they cannot destroy us, Paul says, for God will not abandon us for the very sake of His Son. Paul says, here we see how today we have this wonderful treasure in jars of clay. Paul says, I'm fragile. Often I'm on the very point of being broken. Often there are times I can't handle anymore, Lord. But Paul says, but I'm not crushed. I'm not destroyed. Because I have this new life in Christ Jesus. In Him, I do not lose hope. And then the great benefit of having this treasure in jars of clay, Paul says, is for the greater glory of our God. Now, it seems, I think, from our human perspective, to be rather counterintuitive, right? If God really wanted to show His glory, God really wanted to show His power, would He not make Paul and would He not make all of us as Christians today, wouldn't He make us all strong? Would God not remove the thorn from Paul's body? Would he not make it so that wherever the Apostle Paul went, that the crowds would come out to meet him, they would adore him, that God would destroy all the opposition to to Paul? Would God not take away all the troubles and the afflictions from the lives of the believers so that our witness would be so much greater and more powerful? Could God not make His name so great in this world by removing all the opposition to His church? Could God not make the church such a wonderful place where there's no troubles, no problems, where it's like paradise here on earth already, where everybody would want to come and belong? And yet He doesn't. God doesn't do that. Why? For God's glory and God's power must be displayed in the jars of clay of His people. God's glory, beloved, is displayed in contrast to our fragile lives which are being renewed by the very power of our God. And therefore Paul writes in verse 13, he says, It is written, and he quotes from Psalm 116, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Now, these are words that come from the Septuagint, that is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, which is a bit different from uh, 
the, from what you find in our translation, which is from the Hebrew. The psalmist, a little long ago, when he writes, he talks about suffering great afflictions and oppositions because of his faith. And yet he says, I believe, and because I believe, therefore I have spoken. That is, I've spoken the very word that I received from God. And now the Apostle Paul uses those words and he says, Since we have the same spirit of faith as my brother the psalmist long ago, we also believe and therefore we also speak. So Paul recognizes I'm not the only one who suffers affliction for the sake of the treasures that I proclaim. No, that was already the case long ago there in the Old Testament. And Paul says, but with the same spirit of faith that my brother the psalmist spoke with long ago in Psalm 116, I also believe and therefore I now also speak. So why? Why proclaim the treasure of the gospel when, when Paul suffers nothing but affliction? And, why? and, and that, that he must do all that work in so much weakness. Well, what does he say? Paul says, it's because I believe, as did my brother long ago, the psalmist believed. And what does Paul believe? Well, we know what he, what he believes when he talks about it in verse 14 when he says, the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with him to himself. So he says this, he says, you do not need to fear weakness. You do not need to be afraid because our life is indeed is a constant death. Why? Because in faith I know that the Lord God is the one who raised up the Lord Jesus from the dead. And therefore he will also raise me with him. And he will also present me before his throne one day. And so while this life is nothing but a constant death. So that our lives are fragile like, like clay jars. Yet I know by faith that I am alive in Christ Jesus. In the midst of my weakness I see and I experience the power of Christ at work in me. I already experienced the wonder of being made alive in Christ Jesus. And so I may be pressed in on every side, but I'm not crushed because of the power of my Lord. And Paul says in verse 15, he says, This is for your benefit. So that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Why? Why does Paul continue with his ministry? Why does Paul not just quit? Because if he just quit his ministry, he would put an end to all the affliction and all the troubles in his life. Well, Paul doesn't quit. Because he says... I have this faith in the Lord Jesus. Paul doesn't quit. Why? Because he has seen the glory of God in Christ Jesus. And despite Paul's own weaknesses, Paul says, I will never stop proclaiming that gospel message. And although Paul himself is being opposed by many of his own brothers and sisters there in Corinth, yet Paul says, I will continue to write to you and I will continue to proclaim the gospel message. Why? So that the grace of God may cause thanksgiving to overflow in your life to the very glory of God. So you see, beloved, Paul does not lose heart because of his afflictions for the gospel. Because he sees that it is through his faithful ministry, he sees the grace of God is reaching more and more and more people. This ministry is not successful because Paul, because Paul himself is so powerful and strong. Because God reveals through Paul, through Paul, through his weakness, 
his power. And so more and more people see the power and they see the glory of God in Christ Jesus. And it causes thanksgiving in the hearts of all believers to now just overflow. And as our thanksgiving overflows in all of our hearts also this morning, beloved, as we witness to more and more people about the glory of God in Christ Jesus, the more the glory of God is displayed here in the world in which we live. God's glory, beloved, is clearly displayed also through your life. But remember, remember that you are but jars of clay. It's not your glory. You don't need to tell people how great you are or that they might now look up to you or that they might listen to you. No, we come as, clay, as jars of clay. We have no glory. But the glory of God can now clearly be seen there in our weakness. We proclaim the gospel truth. Because of our weakness, we rejoice in what the Lord has given to us. And therefore, Paul concludes, we do not lose heart. Paul sums everything up with the words of verse 16. Though outwardly we are, be, we are wasting away, though outwardly we are dying, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Beloved, this is the new reality for everyone who believes in Christ Jesus. Each day we face our human weakness. Each day we deal with the reality of sin in our human flesh. Each day... We all deal with different kinds of afflictions. Every day we may feel that we are being perplexed by the things in our life. Perhaps we may be persecuted for our faith. Perhaps not as great as Paul was. Perhaps it's still more subtle in the day in which we live. And each day we may be struck down with troubles. And yet we experience inwardly that our life is being renewed by the very power of God so that I'm able to face also the reality of sin in my own life. I'm able to face the troubles. I'm able to face the afflictions. And I do so without losing hope. Without being destroyed by despair in my heart. Right? We do not lose hope. Why? Right? Through the gospel we have this great treasure in which we may clearly see the very glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a glorious hope the Lord gives to us so that Paul can say in verse 17, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us. Yes, they're achieving for us an eternal glory that far out, outweighs them all. Now, when you read those words, you understand, beloved, Paul is not making light of the troubles that we face because Paul himself has faced these troubles and it has been so hard for him. Paul knows how hard and difficult this life can be. How the troubles can overwhelm him. Just as it overwhelmed the psalmist in Psalm 116. And yet the psalmist and now the apostle Paul and now can, can look back on their life and they realize that our troubles today are light in comparison to the glory that awaits us there in Christ Jesus. Paul says, he says, our troubles are but momentary. That means it only lasts for a few short years compared to the eternity of the glory that awaits us as, his, as God's people. But he says, beloved, he says, you know, in the scheme of things, our pain and our struggles are small and they're puny in comparison to the greatness of the eternal glory that is coming because it outweighs all the pain and all the troubles in your life. 
Difficult concept, isn't it? How do we even begin to process it? How do we begin to even, even live that way? You know, you talk to an unbeliever, Unbelievers who do not know Christ, what do they do? Well, well they, they'll mock you as Christian, as Christian people. They'll say, no, you've lost sight of reality in your life. Come on, get real. They'll point to, you, to your suffering, and they may point to the hardships that you endure for the sake of your gospel. They may mock you for the sacrifices that you are making to serve your Lord, whether it be financially, whether it be sacrificing your time. But, but their eyes, their eyes are closed to the great treasures of the gospel that you see. An unbeliever never experiences what it is like to be made alive. They never experience the power of God to change us. They never understand the experience of being made new and and to receive now this new, this glorious hope in Christ Jesus. Beloved, that changes everything and your whole perspective in your life. You see, the power of God at work in us, it can only be experienced through faith in Jesus Christ. When the Lord comes, and when He opens your eyes by the very power of His Spirit, beloved, then the Spirit gives to you a whole new vista to see things through. Now you begin to see life from the perspective, not of this earth, but you see it from the perspective of eternity. Paul writes in verse 18, he says, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen on this earth, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Imagine for a moment, if you can, that you're blind. You can't see a thing with your eyes. And somebody may bring you before this beautiful scenery, perhaps you know, the mountains with, uh, with the beautiful valleys, with the rivers running through that, with the birds flying through the air, and the animals going, walking everywhere. You can't see it, and somebody might be trying to describe it for you, but it doesn't seem real, does it? You can't even imagine what it really is like, but suddenly, suddenly your eyes are opened, and there you see the beauty before you, and the beauty overwhelms you. Well, beloved, you can say it in a way that this is what happens in in your life when the Holy Spirit comes and the Holy Spirit opens your hearts and He opens your minds uh, to the gospel truth and to the treasures of the gospel. What happens, beloved, we no longer fix our eyes here on these earthly things that we can see with our naked eyes. No, our, our eyes are fixed on what is unseen, on the things that are in heaven, on the glory that we now see is coming with the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we know that what we see here on this earth with our naked eyes is but temporary. They will all fade away and we're all passing on. There is no real beauty here in this world for we see everything fade and everything dies. But when you see the glory of God in Christ Jesus, then you see a glory that will never, never fade away. A glory that will stand for eternity. Therefore, beloved, never lose heart. No matter how difficult your life may become, no matter how hard the opposition may be against us and against the church of Christ, beloved, do not lose heart. For you now, by faith, you see the glory of God, a glory that is everlasting. My eyes reveal to me 
that my eyes, that my life is like a clay, fragile jar today. It's fragile. My life is dying. But beloved, through faith, the Lord reveals to me the glory of His all-surpassing power at work here in me. And so we believe through the very power of the Spirit. And believing, we now speak about the very glory of God, a glory that He also revealed to us in Christ Jesus, a glory that was revealed to us, we who are but weak earthen vessels. Amen.